Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have none other than Dr. Tro on the line. We talked about a lot of different things. We talked about calories. Are they important? Should they be counted? What's been the net effect of calorie counting towards the, the obesity epidemic over the past several years, past 50 years? Is it something that we should keep or something that we should just discard? The whole concept of calories and calorie counting. That was interesting for sure. We talk about high protein versus high fat. We talk about carbohydrates. We talk about fructose. We talk about all kinds of things that are very controversial within the keto low-carb space and also within the uh, flexible dieting if it fits your macro space. Very, very interesting stuff. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, and I have no doubt that you will as well. So without further ado, sit back, relax, tune in, grab your notepad, and listen to the awesome podcast with Dr. Tro. We're live. Dr. Tro, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm a huge fan of yours, man. Uh, you've, <laughs> you've dispelled a lot of the myths. Uh, you need you need carbs to maintain muscle, man. So I'm a huge fan. And I'm happy to be here. Hey, man. I, I really appreciate that. That means a lot. I'd love to kind of just... Uh, I, I knew we had this podcast coming, so I intentionally did not do a whole lot of research and, and deep dive into your background because I, I wanted to come to it with a very unbiased and just open mind. So can you kind of give me and the listeners some insight into to what got you into the keto space, what kind of led you down this medical profession, and just what brought you here to begin with? Uh, you want the three-minute story or the 30-minute the, the story? <laughs> hey, man, I've, I've got no time time constraints, so we can just talk yeah. as long as you'd like. I mean, look, I went into medicine. At the age of 13, I knew I was going into medicine. I knew I was going to be a healer. Um, that, that's, that's what I wanted to do. Okay. I came from a family of obesity, uh, mom, diabetes, dad, heart disease, everybody's overweight, brother, 450 pounds, another brother, 450 pounds. I was 350 pounds at my peak. So, um, you know, I, I, I had a, a dream of, of writing a book called beat the gene, uh, you know, at a young age where, you know, cause every, every doctor told us must be your genetics, right? Mm-hmm. Must be your genetics. Now, fast forward, right? Okay, let me tell you the story. Mom's lost 80 pounds. Dad's lost 40 pounds. Older brother's lost 100 pounds, 150, sorry, 130 pounds. I lost 150 pounds. And little brother's lose, lost 40 pounds so far and, and still counting, right? And still counting. So, um, you know, the, the, I knew at a young age I was destined to do something in medicine. So I went to medical school. And where they taught me, you know, eat multiple small meals, eat your whole grains, you know, and uh, you need carbohydrates. And then I went to residency in internal medicine at in the Yale system. Uh, I was a chief resident in internal medicine um, and I got board certified in internal medicine. And, you know, all along that time from age, you know, 13 all the way to, you know, uh, being a physician, uh, board certified physician, I had gained about five to 10 pounds a year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, being a 350 pound doc and uh, training and was some of the smartest, brightest people in the world, you know, they would all ask me, well, why don't you just eat less and move more? And I don't think at any point I felt like anybody in medicine understood what I was going through. And uh, things kind of shifted and changed when, uh, you know, I was a practicing doctor and my wife is like, you know, my my wife's dad had an illness and 
it was missed by a lot of doctors and she my wife knows how to play me like a fiddle you know she's she's a brilliant woman amazing woman um and she said you know tro you're a smart doctor you scored on the 90th percentile in your board exam you know you diagnose all these things you help my dad out nobody could figure it out you figured it out she said why can't you figure out obesity why can't you figure out your own weight and she knew exactly what to say to play me and the rest is history. I mean, I, I lost 150 pounds. Um, and, uh, you know, here I am six years later maintaining the weight loss. Not to say that it's easy. It's always a struggle, you know, but down 150 pounds, keeping it down. Families all lost weight. Got my brother losing 100 pounds. My younger brother losing four, you know, 30, 40 pounds now. Uh, mom's down weight. Dad's down weight. And so we're literally, you know, beating the gene like I wanted to do at the age of 14. Um, so that's my story. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because none of my colleagues, right. Um, put me down this way. I had to go to the medical literature and I had to, I had read over a thousand, you know, papers uh, on nutrition, read, you know, 300 books on nutrition by prominent, you know, thought leaders. And I've read them all low carb, low fat, vegan, you know, I've read them all. And I've read three textbooks and ultimately I got certified in obesity medicine. I got board certification in obesity medicine because after looking at the literature, everything that they told us is completely wrong. Everything that they taught us, everything that they've said, calories is all that matter. You know, just count your calories, you know, control for protein and calories is what they say, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and that doesn't, that doesn't quantify exactly what goes on with low-carbohydrate and ketogenic approaches. So, uh, and if you look at low-carbohydrate approaches, they always perform better. So um, that's kind of where I started, you know, right there. The medical, when I started my journey, I was like, you know what, if this was, a, if this was pneumonia, I would go see which drug does better head-to-head. I went to the medical literature and said, literature and said which diet does better head-to-head. And that's where I started. And anyway, the rest of its history, I'm down 150 pounds, and here I am on your podcast. <laughs> well, first of all, congrats, man. I mean, the fact that not only you, but your entire family has seen such a positive progression, I mean, that's that alone is, is very impressive. And you're, you're changing a lot of lives, which is also very impressive. I mean, I, I saw several posts of people that, that have been, you know, drastically influenced in a positive way by you, down several pounds, um, you know, and if that that that's what it would makes the difference like the keto community as a whole low carb community like just seeing the positivity in it i mean there's definitely some negativity for sure but seeing people just totally turn their life around and be excited about tomorrow like that's that's where that's what gets me excited so you know hats off to you for that with regard to you transitioning to like keto and low carb was it hard for you to to kind of break free of just the traditional you know, thought leaders in the medical community that were always saying calories is all that matters. You got to eat less, move more, or was it pretty easy to kind of want to dispel their thoughts toward nutrition? No, man. When I was, when I first started down this road, I was just like, what works better? Let me start there. That's it. You know, I'm like a guy trying to figure this out because my, my wife knows how to play me, you know? <laughs> so like, that's all it was. It's like, where well, what does better? And then you do it. And you see the appetite change and then you see how easy it is to go longer without eating and you see what food and you start paying attention to what foods make you hungry, what foods leave you full. And then you read the literature and it's all there. You know, protein and fat give you fullness. 
Mm-hmm. They give you neuropeptide YY, CCK, right? They, they give you stable blood sugar. They make you, they give you ketones, which literally act on the brain to mitigate appetite, right? So there's all these different ways. They lower insulin, right? There's all these hormonal ways that are very specific to low carbohydrate diets that you don't see with any other diet. Right. So, and people say that, you know, well, it comes down to the calories. Well, while that's true from an energy perspective, it doesn't quantify what goes on in that person, what they're experiencing, the hunger they're experiencing. I can eat less uh, calories by, and, and you, do, you do this as, as a profession, right? You can do that with central planning. Mm-hmm. Like, I have a competition. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get into body composition. This is my goals. This is what I'm going to do. I can do that. You know, can the average person do that forever and rely on that as a way to manage their weight? No, right? They can't. So they need feedback mechanisms, which are very unique in a low carbohydrate approach to tell them you're not full. And I've relied on those feedback mechanisms for six years now, kept my weight off. I don't count calories. I don't even count anything. I just eat meat, fish, chicken, eggs, Greek yogurt, green leafy vegetables, and low carb fruit until I'm full. Yeah. If I'm really, you know, craving something, you know, I'll make a protein shake or I'll make keto cookies or something like that. Or I'll make, you know, I'll have some rebel ice cream if I really need some of that junk, you know, if I really need that. But I mean, it's that simple. You know, I didn't, I don't want to decide. I didn't want to say that, you know, the Yoni Friedhoffs, the Lane Nortons, the, you know, the Stefan DNAs. I didn't want to say that these people are terribly wrong. I had no interest in that, right? had no interest in that. I don't want to like, I've got no you know issue if they're wrong or right. But when you go down this road and you read the literature and you see how people are being healed, fatty liver resolves in days, you know, blood sugars resolved in days, you know, you can't unsee this and people don't have experience with low carb diets. They don't know this. And so they don't know. That's the problem. They don't know. They read the medical literature, what's there, and they equate for protein and calories, and they don't really know what's going on. And so I think, I, you know, so now I'm very evangelical about like being a, a, you know, I'm very against the bias against low carb approaches. I'm against those people who say you shouldn't do it. Um, so now I've become evangelical because I see the tool, I see the its usefulness. But I wasn't, I didn't start that way. Yeah, I just wanted to know which way is easier and better. Totally, man. And that, you know? that's that's what's interesting is like you you start digging into something and then you become you know very passionate about it because you see how how it has a profound impact on your own life and other people's life that you you know educate about it and then you start just preaching this message because you feel so strongly about it but then people paint you in this corner of like oh he's just a zealot or something which is just totally the wrong way to go about it but i look at you know my own journey through keto and low carb and how that's affected me like i I didn't start out that way either like i was doing the traditional bro dieting approach to nutrition and it was effective in the sense that i was able to get very lean but it wasn't sustainable it wasn't healthy and i knew it wasn't the best thing for me long term and when you look at you know how keto changes things on like a, a molecular level on a hormonal level like those are things that are just in a totally different perspective, a different playing field than what a traditional diet is is doing. And I feel like when people are having this, it's all about calories debates or it's all about the energy balance, you know, they're not taking into context the drastic hormonal implications that come with getting your ketones dialed in, getting that ketone regulation or, you know, blood circulating ketones up. I mean, that has a profound impact on 
on your just cognitive ability, your satiety, like all of that matters. And I feel like you got to take that into consideration. Yeah, look, absolutely. There's no, you know, there's detrimental impacts of sugar uh, on mood. We know that. We know that glycemic variability leads to increased hunger and resolving that glycemic variability improves hunger. We know that protein and fat release CCK and neuropeptide YY and low, low fat type of diets don't work. Calorie restricted diets don't work for those hormones, Mm -hmm. right? We know that low carbohydrates improve triglycerides. Now, I certainly wouldn't tell somebody who comes to me and says, you know, I'm very happy eating low fat and I want to keep my LDL down. I wouldn't say go on a low carb diet. Like you have to meet the people where they are. There's some people who are very neurotic and they want to include some pizza and birthday cake in their diet because they, otherwise they're going to feel anxious that they're restricting themselves. So fine, go have a flexible dieting program. I don't, I don't care what you do. If it works for you, great. Ultimately, I think we have to go with that motto. If it works for you, great. Yeah, right? and, I agree. But what's going to work for hunger? Stabilizing the blood sugar, utilizing protein and fat for satiety. That's going to work. Well, some people argue that you know, some people feel sated with carbs. There is no satiety hormone that is regulated by non-fiber carbs, meaning processed carbs or sugar. You get no satiety hormone from processed carbohydrate and sugar, right? There's no feedback mechanism that says you're done, right? There's no, that doesn't exist, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is just biochemistry and hormones and a hormonal understanding the hormones, right? So if you eat protein and fat, you get CCK, neuropeptide YY, right? You get these things that release that go act centrally and tell you you're not hungry, but it's just, there's nothing. Fiber gives you a little bit of bulk. Maybe it gives you some short chain fatty acids in the in the gut maybe it increases glp a little bit but there's nothing from sugar and you get nothing yeah right? and it's interesting because you know in doing competition preps i've always kind of gravitated towards higher volume foods when the calories get low but this last prep i did something totally different and i kind of deviated away from just sheer volume and focused solely on nutrient density you know, coming from those proteins and fats. Like in the past, I would do a keto diet still, but I would have like a lot more vegetation, you know, miracle noodles, like the cone jack noodles and stuff, just for that yeah. volume. But I noticed that having the higher volume, and I'm assuming the, th- the same is probably true with carbs, you know, because you're getting a lot more volume with those carbs, but it's just, there's no long lasting satiety. So you may feel heavy for a second, but then you're, you're right back where you started and you're probably even more hungry because when you eat that high volume nutrient void food, with your nutrient dense foods, you're actually probably limiting some of the nutrient absorption from those nutrient dense foods. So you're probably just kind of shooting yourself in the foot, so to speak. Well, so so you're you're a unique animal, right? You probably don't have an unregulated appetite, right? So so I would say ninety percent of people will probably benefit from bulk, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit of bulk in their food. But your pro- your appetite's probably very regulated, uh, meaning like. Yes, you're at for you, right? When you are not getting nutrient dense food and you're just using bulk to, um, to, and you're so hypocaloric, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're the, you're the ideal person to make that transition, right? But for the average person who's hungered, you know what I mean? Who's bored and hungry after dinner, mm-hmm. you know, what should they do? They should probably sit down and either eat more of the same dinner that they had, or they should just see if they can do some vegetation so that they bulk up and just, 
they're looking to just eat, right? Imagine right. like, you know, if I'm after dinner, I could sit down and have a plate, two plates of nuts and dark chocolate, right? It's low carb, right? But it's not necessarily calorically dense. And I'm just eating because I'm, who knows, watching TV and bored, mm-hmm. right? I certainly can probably get the same enjoyment out of crunching on celery, right? Just because I'm hungry, I'm not really hungry, I'm bored. Right, right, right. And I'm looking to do something with my mouth and I'm looking for a flavor change, right? Maybe it's sensory specific satiety. Maybe there's there's reasons to explain that. So I think you're right. I think for people who are in contest prep, that bulk will probably, I mean, it gives them fleeting fullness, right? And you're missing out on nutrient density and that can have an impact, particularly on hormonal health as you're hypocaloric, mm-hmm. right? But I think for the average, like kind of obesity, patient I see, they probably will benefit from from that volume, right? Like they just need like an hour or two away from, you know, very energy dense foods till the signals kind of stabilize in their head and they get not hungry. Yeah, you I can totally I mean? like agree with that. Not gonna, they're not going to be hungry an hour or two, you know, later, right? But when they're sitting down after dinner, eating that bowl of nuts and dark chocolate, you know, I don't think it, you know, you get what I'm saying? Like two hours later, they're probably not going to be hungry no matter what they ate at that time. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense to me. I could totally get behind that. So let's talk about, you know, I feel like there's there's all these different trends and hypes and, you know, arguments within the keto space, low-carb space, and there's also all these, you know, arguments within the keto space versus everybody else. Um, so when it comes to, you know, within the keto space, the keto sphere specifically, I feel like there's this massive debate between high protein versus high fat. And if you're trying to lose body fat, you probably should consume less dietary fat. So I've got my own thoughts on the matter, but I'd love to kind of get your insight. Um, I think it matters, right? I think it matters. For most people is starting out. Let me just tell you, there's such a fat phobia that most people starting out should probably increase their fat. Mm-hmm right? Because it's going to displace, they're going to get satiety, they're going to displace some of that other crap that's in their diet. So, so like if you're, you know, like, look, let's be honest, if somebody sits down and eats eggs and meat, right? And if they're trying to limit their fat, and they're going to withhold eggs and meat, right? They're probably going to end up being hungry and eating something worse when they're staring at pizza and hungry like four hours later. Totally. So I, I think in the beginning, I don't usually restrict fat. Let's say, though, let's flip the script where, you know, uh, you know, you're trying to, f- you're like a, you're like a low carb kind of uh, uh, expert and maybe you're not seeing weight loss results, right? And let's say you're low carb and intermittent fasting. You're eating, you know, one to two meals a day, right? Your appetite is really suppressed, generally not hungry, right? There are, the other side of it is then we see that the reward shifts right? The reward system shifts, right? Where maybe in the beginning, they weren't adding cheese to things. They weren't adding heavy cream. They weren't adding butter. And now all of a sudden, everything's got cheese. Everything's got butter. Everything's got cream in it, mm-hmm. right? Whereas in the beginning, they didn't even want to think about meat, right? They didn't even like two eggs was normal to them, right? So I think like later on in the keto space, the reward system shifts a little bit where now there's a, uh, there's a preference, you know, there's preference placed on fat, and I think sometimes people can benefit from reducing the fat somewhat. Um, look, I've seen, I'm able to break the PE diet. Okay, the Ted Naiman's, you know, high protein diet, and I'm able to break it. What do you mean this break it? it? Yeah, I'm going to tell you how, you how to gain weight with it. Okay, how many, like, how many cans of plain tuna can you eat? Man, I can put down some tuna. <laughs> plain tuna, nothing on it. 
I, I, would, I could definitely eat a lot of it. I wouldn't like it because I just didn't yeah, burn out on it. So this is what happened. You'd, you'd force yourself to eat as much as you could because you didn't like it and you didn't eat enough and your appetite's not really regulated, right? And what happens three hours later when you're staring at whatever other food? Right? You're Most gonna, people probably you're gonna, eat it. You're going to eat it, right? You're going to eat it. So sometimes I've seen people go so low protein, I'm so, uh, sorry, so low fat that they really don't get sated enough, mm-hmm. right? They don't eat enough, okay, where they're actually full and then they get hungry later on. I've seen the exact, so you know what, or you can make, I mean, like, look, protein and grilled, ch- you know, grilled chicken and spices, like people could do protein shakes. I can gain weight, you know, <laughs> I can gain weight by making protein palatable. Yeah. I can do that, right? Where I am in my body composition and, and I can do that. Right, and I'm sure you can see at at a, at a very lean, at a very lean weight. I'm sure you know how to eat more. Mm-hmm, definitely, you need more protein, right? Definitely. So uh, uh, I think there's ways to break high protein. Um, I think for the overwhelming majority, it's probably starting out. Don't restrict the fat. I think for the people who are doing keto for a long time and they're and they're kind of stalling out, consider reducing added fats. Um, there are some people who I have seen consistently, if they go high fat enough in that, in their meal, they're able to go longer without eating. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't think there's a one size fits all. I probably in general, it's, you know, it's in like two thirds, I'd say reducing the added fat will help maybe one third at more fat helps. Um, so I don't know. What's your take? I don't think it's easy, you know? I don't think it's easy. Yeah, it's definitely not like a black and white answer. It's totally contextual. I feel like when people are first getting into the ketogenic diet, low-carb diet, after having, you know, eaten the standard American diet for their entire life, they're going to benefit immensely from having a lot of dietary fat in the beginning, like a very high fat ratio. It's going to allow their body to, to figure out what in the world to do with fat, whether it's dietary fat or stored fat. So I think having that initial high fat makes a lot of sense. I do think as they get a deeper adapted they're able to tolerate higher protein, higher dietary protein without any adverse effects. I do think, you know, if, if calories are equated for, and say I'm doing a competition prep and I'm going to be in a very hypocaloric state, I absolutely, you know, recommend a higher fat ratio because that's where your energy is coming from. That's where your fuel is coming from. It's going to make it much more sustainable as long as you're taking in adequate protein. Like you don't want to ever be under consuming protein regardless of what diet you're following. But I feel like on the extremes, whether you're just getting into keto, having not been adapted, or if you're very deeply adapted and doing something like a competition prep, there are benefits to having that higher fat ratio. In that middle ground, you know, I still advocate for higher fats relative to, to other macronutrients. The lowest I ever really go is about a one-to-one ratio. If ever I go, you know, higher protein yeah, pretty, than fat, that's I don't low, think that's- though, right? 50% protein is like, that's hard to do, you know, for most people. Yeah, yeah, one one to one grams, not calories. Oh, uh, grams. Okay, so like a like a like a one to two ratio. Yeah, I got it. Okay. Yeah, yep. it's about it winds up being about sixty eight to seventy percent of calories coming from fat on my lower end. Yeah, yeah. So that's I think, pretty damn good though. Sixty, like around that 35, 65, That's a weight loss diet. Yeah, yeah. It, it's totally. I mean, it all kind of like for me. Actually, before I go there, I'd, I'd be curious to get your take on like the energy balance as a whole. Like when you hear that, when you think of that, what what are what are the thoughts that come to mind? Like some people are very much so it's all about hormones. Some people are very much so it's all about calories. So with regard to energy balance, what's your take? 
I think that if I could destroy the word calorie, I would, mm-hmm. because nobody eats because of calories. Nobody stops eating because of calories. Right. Right. So I would destroy it from a clinical standpoint. I would destroy the concept of a calorie. Okay. I think it's. I think it's actually harmful. It's been studied again and again, where whether they put it on a menu, where they force companies to put labels. Right. How long we've we had labels? Forever. With calories. Has it reduced intake? No. In New York City, they're required to put calories on the menus. They do anything? No. This concept of a calorie being cognizant of calories, it is helpful to less than 5% of the population. Yeah. Okay. Um, is it helpful? I'm sure that in contest prep, it's very helpful. You know, I'm positive that it, it's helpful for you. Yeah. You no, know, I'm sure that it's helpful for some athletes, but I think this concept of uh, calorie counting, calorie tracking, it is an immense waste of time. So you, is a, from a, most people. Do I think that hormones are it and calories don't matter? That's not true. You know, that's just not true. Yeah. You know, the amount of energy you take in matters, right? Yeah, definitely. Matters. But nobody looks at it like I'm taking in energy now. Let me quantify it with calories and then I'll know when to stop. No, it's like, can you eat something that gives you feedback to stop eating? That's an easy way to live, right? That's an easy way to live. Sorry, I, I feel strongly about it. The no, no, this, right now, this is good. I'm, I'm, I want you to open up about this because, I mean, I, I totally appreciate what you're saying here because I view it as, but I'm kind of like an anomaly when it comes to some of this stuff, so I don't ever want my biases to creep in. But I, I view it as an energy source, like my calories. Like when I say the word calorie, to me, that that's the same thing as saying energy. So when I'm, depending on what my goals are, whether that is to prioritize building lean tissue or losing body fat, I can adjust my energy intake accordingly, you know, but most people probably are not seeing it that way. They're demonizing calories. It's this like negative thing that's just constantly looming over their shoulders, creates a lot of anxiety and sends them in a downward spiral. So from that psychological standpoint, I'm totally behind what you're saying. I just think that there is definitely a camp of people that think that energy intake, aka calories, don't count, and that is a rumor that I definitely want to dispel as well. I've never heard that before. Okay, let me tell you, I've never heard even the the people who come out strongly like me, you know, Jason Fung, we'll never tell you that you know thermodynamics isn't true. We just the idea here is it's not that thermodynamics is true to some extent. How we quantify it. And how that relates to what we actually eat is probably not, it's meaningless, mm-hmm. right? So like if you, like, <laughs> you know, if you take the average person, right, should they eat food based on knowledge of calories? Probably not, okay? In, in fact, I would prefer that they eat food in a way that is this food going to fill me and nourish me and make my body feel good? Right? I think that that's ultimately more valuable than calories. I think it's more valuable for somebody to know why am I eating, okay, rather than how many calories am I eating? What is leading you to eat calories? That's vastly more important, right? Why is it that you're eating? So it's not that like thermodynamics aren't true. It's true and it's great. If you eat less calories, whether it's fat or carbs, it's probably going to result in weight loss. Whether insulin is high or low, it, you know, you can still lose weight. So all that's, the, you know, I'm with you. Like, let's not, you know, argue for the sake of argument. 
Is it helpful for the management of obesity? Probably not. Is it helpful for you during contest prep? Holy fuck, is it helpful? Oh my God, I just cursed. Sorry, <laughs> can I curse on here? It's all good, man. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is it helpful? Yeah. I mean, it, like it's helpful for for a very select few people. Most 90% of people coming to me, it's like it's not going to help them. Having yeah. the calories on the menu is not going to help them. Having the calories on the back of the thing, it's just not going to help them. Sitting there tracking their calories. In fact, I try to make it so easy that they don't even need to track. You know, go eat meat, fish, chicken, eggs, Greek yogurt, green leafy vegetables, low-carb fruit until your brain shuts off. Okay, why do I get to say that? Because if you eat eggs until you're full, okay, two hours later when you're staring at pizza, you're not going to be eating that pizza, right? That's why I don't need to worry about calories because I get to leverage satiety, Yeah. right? So, I, I mean, I, I don't know if that's clear. It's not that it's, calories don't matter, you know, calories matter. It's just fucking useless. No, it, it totally, totally clear, man. I feel like if you, in a hypothetical situation, if you were to totally wipe the concept of calories from human existence and you were to just have anybody that is obese and has no preconditioned thoughts towards calories or calorie counting or dieting philosophies at all, and you gave them this, you know, smorgasbord of different food options, some like birthday cake, some like, you know, meats and healthy fats and you didn't tell them one was good and one was bad and you just told them to try one and then report on how that made that feel how that made them feel and then the next day try something different i feel like people would gravitate towards the foods that make them feel better give them more satiety and they would probably want to well i mean take that back there are probably gonna be some people that just like that sugary high and gravitate towards that but then they would see and recognize that as long as they recognize effects. it bingo yeah yeah, so I feel like in a in a perfect world where all these preconceived notions of calorie counting and dieting philosophies was stripped from the equation and people were able to eat quality foods rather than crap foods and saw how that made them feel and was able to be self-aware enough to recognize it, they would all gravitate towards the things that are going to provide more satiety, more performance, and just a healthier approach. Um, I just go. don't know that that's the way things are going to go. Yeah, I mean, look, that's it. Right? That's it. This is the this is the money here. Why am I eating? Not how many calories am I eating? Why am I eating? Yeah. What what drives my appetite? What drives my hunger? This is valuable. Teach a man to fish. Yeah. Not totally. give him a fish. Right? Not give him a fish because it's useless. Okay? And you know what the problem is? Is the doctors want to do this and nutritionists want to do this so they can blame you. Mm-hmm. So they can blame the person because you ate too many calories. Right? But what we do in our practice here, we have remote scales. We're tracking you for years. We have remote blood pressure cuffs. We're tracking your blood pressure cuff for years. I have CGMs. So when you're not in my office, I see how you're doing. And I'm, I'm at fault if I didn't deliver a good enough message, a coherent enough message to keep you healthy. Not you. Yeah, look, I, yes, I cannot make you eat a certain way. Right, but I have to take responsibility too as a doctor. Am I doing my best? Right, and right now doctors are just saying eat less, go track calories, see you later, and then mm-hmm. you come back a year later, you gain twenty pounds. Okay, that's not enough. I'm yeah. sorry, it's not enough. It didn't help anybody, and it's not enough. Right, so I think the 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 nutritionists, the trainers, the the doctors, we have to take responsibility. Is our message having an effect? The calorie message has had no effect. Okay, it's failed. It had its chance the last 50 years. It mm-hmm. had its chance. 
Okay, it didn't work. They've done the studies in New York before and after the calories are on the menu. Okay, it had no change in impact, had no change in obesity. It doesn't work. All right, they can, they've done studies where they just literally tell you the amount of calories of things and see if it changes your intake. It doesn't. So, I mean, yes, it's true that people who track do maintain weight loss, but I think we're just finding people who are evangelized to centrally, like, you know, they're testing you, you know, that you're the person, you're evangelized to, to focus on your health and body composition. You know that, so I think, I, I think you're right. Like, look, it's not, it's, it's certainly true. You, you, it's not going to harm you to track it unless you get, unless you're, but what is that brain space missing out on? Right. So what are you not tracking when you are tracking calories? Right. You're losing out on some brain space when you're doing that. And I got a lot of better uses for that brain space. I think- Why am I hungry? Why am I eating? What's driving my appetite? What foods make me full? What foods make me more hungry? Yeah. I got a better things to track than that. Yeah. So, than I, calories, in my opinion. I totally respect that. I definitely feel like there is like there's many people that have very negative relationships with tracking. Like that's that results in eating disorders. They get so obsessive about hitting a certain macro goal that they'll spend hours trying to, you know, tweak foods to hit a certain macro goal and that becomes very very miserable and it's just a miserable existence and I don't ever advocate that or want people to do that so it's it's interesting for me because you know like like you said prior to us recording you got this debate with Lane Norton coming up and you know you're coming at it from a from a standpoint of someone that's lost 150 pounds they've come from a family who has struggled with weight all lost weight and you're trying to fix the obesity epidemic which is a big epidemic right now and you got Lane Norton who's coming at it from not necessarily having this crazy relationship with food having gone through a severe weight loss and you know he's coming at it from a totally different spectrum and I'm like coming at it from the natural bodybuilding standpoint so I'm in line with him on some of those facts but then it's like I, I did that I don't like it it's not sustainable it's not it's not enjoyable when you do it from a ketogenic or low carb standpoint you can tap into all the benefits that, that satiety has to offer that you know cognition has to offer all the good but then I can still use the the keto or the the macro manipulations that I learned you know from the natural bodybuilding to kind of tweak and deliver a specific goal and result but it's it's weird because you have to totally develop your message based off of your audience and who you're trying to appeal to and what the overall goal is. So I feel like how he would talk to somebody that's trying to lose weight is going to be very different from anybody that you would talk to on losing weight, and that's where this this confusion comes from. Look, I'm going to talk to you. I, I've done a lot of uh, research into him preparing this debate. I've read his books, okay? Um, you know, and I know, and I think I have a good handle of where I would agree and where I disagree with him. Mm-hmm. And you'd be surprised. I vehemently disagree with maybe 20% of what he has to say. Yeah. Okay. It's not, it's not a lot, you know, but here's the thing. And I think you're absolutely right. The audience matters, right? There are some people who are so insulin sensitive, they get satiety from carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Okay. Particularly uh, fibrous carbohydrates or starches. Right? There are some people who they need a reward for their restriction. Okay, They restrict it and they need that little piece of pizza. Right? Or there's some people who want that social component, like I will diet two weeks in a row if I just can get my pizza night. Right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. There are some people who who do that. They they need that flexibility, right? That's how they operate, right? And that's how they're going to sustain weight loss right now. And I get that. I get there are people who need flexibility that that want, especially young insulin sensitive people, who are probably not or able to tolerate more carbohydrates, have a social strong social aspect that's going to be part of their quality of life, right? And there are some people who are so driven by body composition that everything needs to be tracked to a T. Mm-hmm. I get it. I totally get it. And th- those are real people with real needs. Those are less than 10% of people. Yeah. You know, okay, that's it. That's the reality. So those are less than 10% of people. And you've proven, you know, that you can do this another way. So even for those 10%, you can still do it another way. Get fat adapted. Mm-hmm. Right. And your blood sugar will be stable. And then carbs lose their satiety effect. Right. So, so it's not, there's nothing that he's saying that's wrong. Okay. Where I think he'll actually, where he goes wrong and he, you know, he's, he's said it himself, you know, he said it himself. Okay. I think what's happening here is he's misinterpreting the data. You know, he's so focused on including sugar and including carbohydrates and not penalizing carbs versus fat. They just penalize it the same in the flexible dieting approach. He's just, he's got his blinders on into the potential harms of, of certain carbohydrates, you know, particularly fructose, you know, fructose causes, uh, you know, literally calorie for calorie causes issues with fatty liver and literally calorie for calorie taking out fructose and putting in starch will resolve fatty liver in, in children and adolescents and ketogenic diets resolve fatty liver in six states. You know, if you have a blood sugar issue, there is a difference between carbs and fat and protein. Okay. You will see an immediate change in your blood sugars if you have diabetes or prediabetes. Okay. And that's calorie for calorie, right? And if you even go calorie for calorie for metabolic syndrome, calorie for calorie metabolic syndrome improves. Okay, with uh, a low carbohydrate approach. Now, am I saying that you know everybody's got to do low carb? No, I'm just saying know the exact effects you'll get from your macronutrient choices. And the flexible dieting community and the community uh, you know focused on body composition. Okay, that you know I think their goals are how do I expand food preference? How do I continue to use food as reward for restriction? And how do I centrally plan? Uh, caloric reduction, right? That's, I get it. Do what you're going to do. Do your tracking, do your flexible dieting. But when it comes to the potential harms of sugar and fructose, right? And processed carbohydrate, we got to be very clear with that messaging. Okay. Over 90% probably experience harm. Less than 10% probably get any benefit, if any. So I'm with you, man. I'm not like, you know, I, I disagree with him, but I think those are the points of disagreement. It's interesting because, you know, I there there is definitely a select group of people that are athletic. They've got a lot of lean muscle tissue. They're in shape and they're insulin sensitive and they can tolerate, you know, these just super heavily processed crap carbs and, and get away with it and not seem to have near the negative effect that it would have on, on somebody that's less in shape or less, less healthy, less has metabolic syndrome, et cetera, et cetera. But to me... It's always been a matter of, look, let's just change the way we think of this. Rather than seeing what we can get away with, 
let's see what we can optimize with. And I made a post about that today because I feel like there's so many people in the, if it fits your macros, flexible dieting space, where it's like, look at me, I've got abs and I'm able to have all this crazy different variety in food and I'm able to enjoy pizza night, I'm able to have, you know, sundaes and soft serve ice cream with sprinkles. But it's like, that's great. That's a very small minority probably, but that's great. But why? Why don't you want to pursue something that's going to be better for you? I mean, hopefully, hopefully, people inherently know that a you know single ingredient whole food is just simply better across the board than a bunch of soft serve ice cream with sprinkles. But I feel like people don't even view it through that lens. Look, I, I, again, I, it, it's really individual, right? If I have somebody with an eating disorder who's afraid of food, has poor body image, right, and is restricted their whole life, I would never say don't eat that soft serve ice cream, mm-hmm. right? I would never say that. I'd say, you know, you want ice cream? Go have it. Like, go have it. Like, seriously, go have it, okay? I, so I think it depends. Somebody's on their deathbed and they want to taste ice cream. I don't, like, who cares? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right? There's reasons why you'd want to have ice cream, okay, pleasure, just you want to feel like you want something that tastes awesome. Now, certainly, I'm I'd be happy to help you make that ice cream in a way that that I think is long term better for you. We can do that, right? Um, so I think even with processed food, there's probably a person that will benefit. Look, these processed food companies didn't come out of nowhere. We asked them. We we a hundred years ago, you know, we didn't have everybody didn't have food all the time. We asked them to make more and more food, better and better food, cheaper and cheaper food, better tasting, right? And our dollars drove it. They came from, like, they've done what we've asked them to do. So I don't blame them either. Yeah, I don't either. You know, um, so here's the, the reality is, and you can make processed food work for you. I mean, shit, yogurt is processed food. Yeah. Right? I mean, you can make, you can make almond flour cookies and cake, right? So I think when it comes to food and food choices, there are a lot of unique things you have to consider, right? I just wouldn't see somebody with an eating disorder in my clinic and say, restrict soft serve ice cream. I don't delude myself to think 90% of this country probably would benefit from restricting soft serve ice cream, right? I think that that's, that's that's an important message, right? No food is bad. I can find the person to give ice cream with sprinkles and it's great. Right, it's a layup decision. Whether it's they have an insulinoma, whether it's cachexia, whether it's you know protein calorie malnutrition or kwashiorkor, right? You know whether it's somebody who's very insulin sensitive, you know, and and they want they're looking for variety and and just rel- like that mental escape or whatever it is, the reward. I mean, look. So I don't think we can be dogmatic about anything. I can devise a person where carbs are fine for them, right? I can imagine that person exists. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I I was speaking more from a physiological standpoint than a psychological standpoint, but it's funny because anytime I have any kind of nutritional debate or conversation with anybody, it winds up being more of a psychological conversation than a physiological conversation. It's interesting because you look at any other species on the planet and these conversations just don't exist. Like animals eat what they <laughs> have always eaten, whereas us humans are running around more idiotic than any of the animal species and we're just like what do we do <laughs> yeah no exactly that the squirrel's not going to look at that acorn and say now it's my fasting time yeah you know uh you know, I, I had a bear and a cub raid my garbage can when my wife threw out the halloween candy last uh last fall 
right? I mean, it was doing what it was designed to do, and it came back three days in a row, mm-hmm. right? It knew where that candy was. It kept coming back. Okay, so it's doing what doing what's nobody would sit here and argue about like no other animal. The raccoon is not going to look at that ice cream and say, I'm not going to eat it. Right. Right. I mean, are you kidding me? Pizza rat like would kill itself for pizza. <laughs> no, pizza rat would kill itself for pizza. So, I mean, we're not any different. I don't think people are killing themselves for pizza. Yeah. You know? So we're not any different. I'm, I'm in agreement with you. And you're right. Some of this is all like you know, intellectualizing, you know, something, but I, I, you know, I think it's, I think the other point of this is, you know, there's no, there's no moral quality that we should apply to foods. Yeah. You know, there's not like, honestly, if if it's you after a competition and you just won and or you placed or something and you're like, you know, I want to have a cone of ice cream. Like, like, I don't care. Like go have it, man. You know, like that's what you need, you know, go have it. I don't know. You know, um, I'll yeah. make it for you. Shit. I'll, I'll, I'll make it for you. Low carb, <laughs> you know, I'll make it low carb. We'll get you a low carb ice cream if you want, but you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't know. I feel like, you know, it, it is very individual, individualized and it's, it's funny because you can get offensive real quick, like telling people they can't have a certain thing and then they're feeling deprived and it it just gets it gets in the weeds really quickly and for me like i am very much like a machine when it comes to food like i just prefer to not have like i enjoy food i i enjoy eating certain foods more than others um and i enjoy the time spent with people while i'm eating these foods but i don't really put food on a pedestal i used to but i don't anymore but i recognize that that isn't the case for everybody out there so you have to meet people where they're at. But I also feel like if you are struggling with your weight, if you're not healthy, if you have metabolic syndrome, if you're, you know, incredibly insulin resistant, then it, it's just weird, man. Like you got to, like me personally, I feel like being able to have these delicacies with regard to your nutrition should be just that, a delicacy that that you can prove to yourself, hey, I can I can maintain my health while eating this stuff. And a lot of people would view it as a very restrictive thought. But at the same time, like, I, I have that thought process with everything I do in life. If I don't feel like I deserve something, then I work until I feel like I deserve it. And so many people just, they have this entitlement attitude about them with everything, not just food, but with everything. And I'm guilty of that at times as well. I'm not trying to say that, you know, I'm I'm not. But it's interesting because we've found ourselves in this total, you know, obesity epidemic and just this really dark place with regard to nutrition you know what do we do what do we not do and i feel like if we just rewound the clock and had some more self-awareness people would be able to make a lot more progress look i i i like i can't agree with you more okay i can't agree with you more um i think that um i look most people they want the same thing they want a combination of carbs and fat Mm -hmm. whether it's sweet salty or savory or a combination of all of them, that's what the brain wants, right? I mean, look, that's the signal. The first thing you need to do is understand that's the signal. Your brain's always going to want that, okay? It's, and, and if you give it protein, it's going to want to add sugar. If you give it, it can't get sugar, it's going to add want to add sweetness. If it can't get sweetness, it's going to add fat, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like, let's, <laughs> I mean, that's, if you're a bodybuilder, you know that, right? You know that. If you're, if you're trying to get cut, what happens? 
right? How much would you kill to put a little bit of ketchup on your grilled chicken, right? <laughs> How much yeah. would you kill to put a little bit of ketchup, like a little bit of sugar, right? Or just like a little bit of oil, right? And a little bit of salt, right? Am I right or wrong? No, you're right on the money, man. You know, so the brain wants, and we all want the same things to varying degrees, but it's pretty much either adding carbs and fat if you can get it, right? Carbs alone, okay, or or adding adding carbs or adding fat. Mm-hmm. That's how the brain works. So first thing you got to do is understand how the brain works. Okay, so that's why I want what I want. Okay, you are entitled to that because you, you know what? You don't even have a choice. But that's what the brain wants. You're not, you can't escape that unless you're dead. I mean, it's like people ask me, when will I not want those things? It's like, when will you stop finding the opposite sex attractive? Or yeah. maybe the same sex, who knows, you know? <laughs> Whatever your preference is, right? Yeah. So like, when will you stop wanting that? When you're dead? I don't know. Like, that's the signal. When will the squirrel stop wanting acorns? I don't think ever, right? So the first thing you got to do is like, you're, it's not that they're entitled or not entitled. Like, that's the signal, man. That's what your brain's going to want. All right, so now what are you going to do? Can you replace that? Can you restrict it? Can you get rid of the ice cream, the chocolate, the pizza? Yes or no? Everybody's going to say yes when they're motivated. And you take somebody when they're stressed out, their mom's sick, their kids are yelling at them, the wife's yelling at them, husband's yelling at them, they lost their job, and you put pizza in front of them, you think they're going to be able to say no? Hell no. Right? Mm-hmm. So replace what you can't restrict, okay? If, you, if you've found a food that you, can, you cannot restrict – my advice to you is replace it with a version that decouples the carb-fat reward. And the easiest way to do that is to pick a low-sugar, low-carbohydrate version. Okay? That'll st- keep your blood sugar stable. And this is all the keto crap stuff, right? If you can't get rid of ice cream, get low-sugar ice cream. Yeah. Can't get rid of pizza, get low-carb pizza. Right? And then, okay, then you're decoupling that reward system, right? Now you get to enjoy the food without the glycemic hit. Now you're in a place where, okay, now maybe a month or two in, you make some ketones, you're fat adapted, your blood sugars are stable. Now you can like, now you have, and you have neuropeptide YY, CCK, right? Now you have a fighting chance to maybe restrict those things, you know? And, and it's hard, man. It's hard. It's hard for people to do it. So I don't blame them. Now, some people are like, so I don't try to restrict food because I don't want to even mess with their entitlement. Like, you want your pizza? Go ahead. Have your pizza. Here it is. Here's a way to make it. Go make it. Have it this way. And let's talk in a month or two months. Yeah. And you know what? I haven't met a person yet that came to me two months in was like, you know, I'm still more hungry. I'm more hungry now than I was before. So first, get people's hunger down. Then they find that it's not a fight to, to get rid of some of these things. When you're not hungry, it's really easy for me now to be like, you know, most people come in here eating 16 hours a day. Mm-hmm. By the time they leave, most people are eating one to two meals a day and they're not hungry. And they're not hungry. It's easy. So first we have to address hunger. Then we address metabolic health. Then we address weight loss. There's no, there's no point in me telling you to eat less if you can't stop eating pizza, Right. And the entitlement is just a man. It's just a way for them to defend what they don't understand. I mean, that makes total sense to me. I I think the I think all that makes whole sense to me. You know, having something replace what you can't, you know, refrain from. I feel like that's that's just a 
human psychology 101 right there like that the the human mind wants what the human mind wants and it doesn't like being told no so if you can't have it you have to eliminate it replace it with something else as opposed to just leaving it as an open hole open chasm to fall into so that makes you know perfect sense to me what what is what is people argument against that like what is the flexible dieting space that's been giving you so much shit like what do they have problems with with that for uh they think it's low carb zealotry mm. that's they they think that it's like no there's no difference right that you know it's complicated satiety is complicated so and some people were more satiated with carbohydrate um i don't see any reason to support that message but uh that's the main argument against it and so, uh, yeah, I support flexible dieting. You want pizza? We'll get you. We'll flexibly include pizza for you somehow. You want ice cream? We'll flexibly find a way to get you ice cream. Mm-hmm. Right? So I just we just are flexible in our way of providing that taste profile that they're looking for while trying to improve the, the metabolic syndrome, fatty liver, triglycerides that are leading to you know, and insulin resistance that are leading to the state of hunger that they can't control. Because the reality is, you know, here, okay, here's the bottom line. There's a questionnaire that we use for alcoholism in the medical field. It's called the CAGE questionnaire, right? C-A-G-E, cutting, agitation, guilty, eye opener, right? And if somebody answers four to four, okay, that means they have a problem with alcohol, they're addicted to alcohol. When I take that questionnaire and I make it about food, do you want to cut down food? How about let's pick you in a in a in a uh, in your uh, cutting cycle before a performance, right? right Just basic questions in that time, like the you know when you're having 500 calories a day for three days before your, you know, <laughs> before your competition. Okay. All right, let's do it. All right. Do you want to cut down? No. Oh come on! Do you want to cut down? You don't want to cut down food intake. No, I don't want to. I know I need to, but I don't want to. <laughs> What's that? Okay. Well, you want to, right? So let's do it. Let's pretend you want to, right? So you want to cut down, right? Okay. All right. Do you get agitated when somebody tells you that maybe you shouldn't eat something, right? Yeah. Probably. Right? Let's say you have that food in your mouth and you know you got to cut down and you've decided you're going to eat. Somebody tells you don't eat that, right? Do you get agitated? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, you get agitated. You probably don't have this because you're in control, but a lot of people with obesity have this. You feel guilty about the way you eat. You feel guilty, right? Mm-hmm. And because they are eating cupcakes and cookies, right? And they're hungry and they don't understand why. Mm-hmm. You feel guilty. Yeah, most of them answer yes. Maybe you won't. And eye opener, this is another thing that people really struggle with alcohol. What happens? They're so compelled to drink, they'll drink early in the morning. Ask somebody with obesity. Do you have a hard time restricting food at odd hours or do you sneak food or do you hide food? Mm-hmm. Right. Ask it. You, have you noticed in your clients, like nobody can, you know, uh, th- that, you know, after dinner before sleep time frame is like when everybody's junk eating. Mm-hmm. Totally. Right? right. They can't control it then. Right. They can't control it. So that, that nighttime binging, which is the most common time to binge on ultra-processed food, by the way, 100% of nighttime binging is with ultra-processed food, right? That's like E, the eye-opener. So most people coming into my office, when they come in, they're answering these four to four questions designed for alcoholism. They're four to four positive for food. 
Okay. Meaning like that addiction component, super strong, mm-hmm. super strong. The problem is they're all ashamed about it and embarrassed about it. You understand why your brain is seeking out food when you have 500 calories, right? I mean, you get it. Yeah. You get it. I don't know if that makes sense. No, but- that makes a lot of sense. I don't ever go as low as 500 calories, but I like when I'm that low in a prep, I mean, whenever you're hungry, like whenever you're truly hungry and like it's just gnawing at you, I mean, your ability, your willpower and your discipline level is just much, much lower. Like you're much more susceptible to reach and grab for whatever is there readily available. So most people are going to just spiral out of control when they're in that stage. And if they're eating a bunch of heavily processed food and they don't have the right, you know, hunger signals going on because they're eating crap food, they're going to be much more susceptible to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the idea here is, is that, you know, probably food addiction or this intense cravings, whatever you want to call it, is probably a real phenomenon. And... Uh, most people that are coming here, most people that are coming to my office, they have that issue, right? They have this issue. If we take something that's validated for alcohol abuse and apply it to food, they got it. They got it. Okay. Now the problem is, is with alcohol, it's easy. I'm not going to go to the bar. I'm going to avoid Mikey because every time I'm with Mikey, I drink. Mm-hmm. Okay. The problem with food is this. Can you escape food? Not very long. Not very long, right? Not very long. And it's not just that. If you're an alcoholic and you don't drink, everybody's going to be like, you're doing great. Mm-hmm. If you go to a party and you're not eating, what happens? Everybody downs you and tries to encourage you to eat. Yeah, right? If you say, I'm fasting, what do they say? That's going to kill you. Yeah, yeah. All I'm eating is eggs and steak. Oh, it's going to kill you. Right? Mm-hmm. So the, we have a environment. And then on top of that, Right. As you not eat, you're going to get more hungry. And then what is our environment surrounded with? Crap food. Mm -hmm. Right. So so it's a cycle like you can't really escape if you have intense cravings and food addiction. Now, that that makes a lot of sense to me, man. I mean, I I can totally relate with everything you're saying. And I'm glad that I have been on both ends of the spectrum because I just have that perspective now that I didn't at one point. But. I don't know. I, I don't understand why people are so dogmatic in their thinking of not even wanting to try it. Like there's so many people that I know personally in the in the bodybuilding space that are on that end of the extreme and they'll just be absolutely miserable about what they're doing with their current nutritional protocol. Yet they'll just defend their their right to have that cupcake after their show to the death. And they won't even look towards an alternative option like keto or low carb. They just paint us as the low carb zealots because that's what's popular to do. And it's sad because it's just unfortunate that people are so closed minded into doing something that could very well change their life for the better. So I, I totally respect and get behind the message you're preaching, man, because I totally agree with it. Yeah, I, look, the there's a big there's a big problem. There's a big bias in the conventional medical community in the look, the conventional approach. If you talk to the Lane Norton's or the Yoni Friedhoff's or any average doctor or look at the guidelines, what does it say? It says eat lean meat, eat more, you know, uh, whole grains. Okay. Have more fruit and vegetables. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the standard advice. Okay. 
that's the diet that you're right. Limit saturated fat, limit your calories. All right. That's the standard advice. Okay. Is it sensible? I don't know. Some would argue it is. I think that it's not sensible. It preferentially is biased against low carb approaches. Lean meat means not fatty meat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whole grains means carbs, not fat and protein. Okay. Uh, fruits means sugars, not fat and protein. So it is specifically, their message is specifically anti-low carb. Eat multiple small meals a day, eat immediately upon waking, that's Yoni Friedhoff, okay, from his diet fix. There's a problem with this, right? When we're telling people, do intermittent fasting, stabilize your blood sugar, increases fat oxidation, improves insulin resistance. So their messaging is actually biased even though they'll turn around and say, we promote any diet you can stick to. Mm-hmm. Okay. They'll say any diet you can stick to is the diet you should do. All right. The problem is, is their messaging is actually literally biased against low carbohydrate and intermittent fasting approaches. So there's a big disconnect. And if you think adherence is the number one factor, well, I don't know any other way to measure adherence in, in, in a dietary perspective other than CGM and ketones, there's no feedback yeah. to actually measure if you're adhering or not, right? So low carbohydrate is the only way to measure adherence. That's a good point. That's a really good so, point. So the problem is, is that they say, eat lean meats, eat you know whole grains, eat uh, fruits and vegetables, Okay, that's a bias against low carb. Eat multiple small meals. That's a bias against intermittent fasting. Okay, and then they say adherence is all that matter. Any diet that any diet that works, well, low carb is the only one where you can actually measure it. Right. So there's a big disconnect with what they are saying, and what they what they the messaging, and its inherent bias. Do you feel like it's that's not, gotten I'm not better? It's not sensible. It's not sensible. It's it's perfect. I get what they're saying. Mm-hmm. It's just a bias against low carb and intermittent fasting, and you, that has to be recognized. Do you feel like that's improved over the past five years or so, at least within the medical literature? The, the medical literature is supportive of low carb and 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 uh, intermittent fasting. I mean, the the trials are clear. Eat less frequently, you do better. Mm-hmm. Okay, with diabetes, metabolic syndrome, fatty liver. Eat less carbs, you do better with metabolic syndrome, diabetes, fatty liver. Okay, uh, if you, obesity, it's closer. You know, there's like a two to five pound difference, but again, it's in favor of low carb approaches. That's not saying, I mean, it's close. I mean, it's two to five pounds. It's not much to talk about in terms of uh, at the end of a year, if you look at all the low carb versus all the low fat trials, but again, low carb does better. Mm-hmm. So the medical literature is completely in favor of low carbohydrate approaches. The only thing that it may not improve is lower density lipoproteins, LDL, but it certainly improves calorie for calorie HDL and triglycerides. Mm-hmm. So there's, no, there's trade-offs that we have to accept in each way. But So the data is very supportive of low carb and intermittent fasting. Just the mainstream messaging you know, from nutritionists, dietitians, personal trainers, physical therapists, doctors, guidelines, they're all off they're all biased against it and there's no i mean i understand where they came from and i don't i'm not saying it's not sensible i'm just being very clear and you know we just talked about that bias 
now the ADA recommends low carb, you know, that happened in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's still, uh, it's, 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 it's late. And, and if you still talk to these people at the ADA, like the CMO, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's still, you know, any diet is the diet that works and um, no diet is better. And, you know, all, whatever you can adhere to. It was just, just wrong messaging in my opinion. Do you feel like the medium, like I, I, I'm probably biased because I'm within the keto community, I'd probably just by default in somewhat of an echo chamber because it seems like to me over the past, you know, three years or so, keto's gained a lot of momentum, you know, low carb is very popular, but I don't know if that is, is just growing, but everything's growing. I don't know if like that growth in keto and low carb has resulted in a decline with traditional uh, practice or if that's just continued to rise as well. Can you tell from your vantage point, if if mainstream is moving in the right direction, or you still think we're going <laughs> the wrong way? Um, I uh, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I I think that it's like a big, it's a big thing. To, it's a big task to ask you know millions of doctors to immediately, you know, reevaluate what they were taught. It's a big task to ask the personal trainers and 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 dietitians and uh, nutritionists to you know, reevaluate everything they were taught. Certainly there's a lag between these things. Mm-hmm. It's definitely going in the right direction. I mean, look at diet doctor. They're doing increasingly better. Look at the fasting method. They're doing increasingly better. The low carb MD podcast that I do, you know, we're at, I don't know, 3 million listens right now. Um, so it's like, you know, all these things are absolutely growing. If you look at for searches for carnivore, for low carb, for ketogenic diets, they're just skyrocketing past any other diet. So the mainstream kind of like ground level support is going up. In terms of the medical, we're working on it. We have, you know, Doug Reynolds from Low Carb USA, myself, and a team of other doctors, Eric Westman, Rob Sivis. We are um, working to get a physician's organization uh, up and running, Society uh, uh, of Healthcare, uh, uh, Metabolic Healthcare Practitioners. Uh, we finally got that up and running and, um, you know, we're going to be doing CME and conferences and all the stuff. So physicians are educated. So there's a lot going on. I mean, um, but in terms of the mainstream medical and news and, you know, Sports Illustrated and Men's Health and gyms, I don't think they're on board, man. Yeah, it's it's, it's unfortunate because I feel like within the, the fitness and bodybuilding industry that's a very small percentage of the overall public by far but i feel like that demographic is what is putting out a lot of the the magazines the news the the that's those are the instagram accounts that get all the followers and they're preaching the wrong message so it's it seems like an uphill battle in that regard but i do agree with you in that you know on the ground level with keto low carb carnivore that's all gaining momentum but the the a lot of the movers and shakers in that space in the general speaking you know flexible dieting if it's a macro space they're still definitely in the lead with regard to who's seeing it whose eyes are upon it so i feel like i'm just gonna keep doing what i'm doing man putting out stuff in the fitness industry and being kind of you know against the grain but i feel like that's just what you got to do grass movements all the way yeah i mean look it's definitely what you're doing is absolutely needed um so, and there's a lot of, a lot of people in this space, Danny Baker. I mean, like, it's just a lot of people kind of coming into it in the mainstream. Um, you know, Jamie Seaman just won Miss Nebraska, Danny Vega, 
Um, a lot of people kind of uh, uh, bringing this stuff to the forefront, and, and that's what's needed. And I think it's only a matter of time. You know, look at Lane Norton. You just put out this app, and, and all of a sudden there's a low-carb and ketogenic arm. So, mm-hmm. And if you look at, like, Yoni Friedhoff wrote the Diet Fix, which is a terrible book, um, terrible messaging. Now, you know, he's thinking about creating a low-carb program. So, I mean, I think that probably you'll see more acceptance as more people can monetize off of it, sadly, sad to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that'll be, that'll be part of it. Uh, as these people develop ways to monetize it, they'll then promote it. Uh, I mean, the literature is very clear. I mean, it supports these modalities, um, even calorie for calorie. Yeah. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. That's all we can do, man. We'll keep keep fighting the good fight and know what you're doing, man, because you're changing lives and you're getting the right message out. So, I mean, if there's anything I can do to help you in any way, just let me know. You're doing it. You're doing it. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Absolutely, man. So where can people go to find out more about you listen to your podcast? Yeah, uh, they can find me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, um, and uh, Instagram, uh, Dr. Tro spelled out, you know, D-O-C-T-O-R-T-R-O. My website is drtro.com, D-O-C-T-R-O, uh, sorry, D-O-C-T-O-R-T-R-O.com. It's a Dr. Tro spelled out. Uh, and you can just contact my office. Uh, I have a, I'm a physician, uh, board certified internal medicine, obesity medicine. We run a weight loss clinic here and metabolic health clinic. And um, yeah, you can just text me right from the website. My staff will get to you. And uh, yeah, the podcast, we've been doing it with myself, Jason Fung, uh, Megan Ramos, and my trusty co-host, Dr. Brian Lenskis, another internist. We've been doing the Low Carb MD podcast. It's going to be two years. Wow. It's been an amazing two years. I think we're edging on 4 million downloads or something like that. So, um, man, we're just trying to do what you're doing, following your footsteps. Well, keep making ways, man. Like I said, I appreciate what you're doing and you're doing it with the right people and you're having a massive impact. So keep killing it, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet. Take care, brother.